You can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome. If you're a guest with us, you are at the first ever 8.30 service at Mariner's Church. And so thanks for being here. I, I, I'm so proud of you, Mariner's. I'm so proud of you for coming to this service. We tried and we prayed that you would show up at this service. Because we think that the next one, the 10 o'clock, is going to be the most packed. I had no idea. I didn't know if we were going to have to circle up and have a small group Bible study at the 8.30 or what it was going to look like. But thank you. Look around. Isn't this awesome? Thank you so much for being here. Really, really grateful that you are here this morning. So we're going to start this teaching series on God's plan or God's will for our lives. And as a pastor, that is the most common question that I'm asked. Somebody will say, Eric, I've got, I've got two opportunities. Can you pray that I will choose the one that is God's will for me? Or I'm thinking about um, starting a relationship with her or with him, I, but I don't want to do it unless it's God's will. And so we wrestle with this. And, we, and those of us who follow after Jesus, we, we really, that's often a, a pure question because we want to be exactly where he wants us to be. But oftentimes we make it more confusing than it needs to be. And we're going to see this today. The reason we also wrestle with this question so much is just basic humanity would say we are confronted with more choices now than we've ever been confronted in our life. Barry Schwartz is a well-known psychologist, and he wrote this best-selling book called The Paradox of Choice. And in his book, The Paradox of Choice, Barry Schwartz says that here in the U.S., you are now confronted with more decisions on a daily basis than any group in the world and any group in history. And be because you're confronted with so many decisions, sometimes this decision overload can cause you to go one of two paths with the number of decisions that you have to make. This is Barry Schwartz, this well-known psychologist. He says that sometimes the number of decisions you have to make lead to paralysis. I don't know which to decide, so I'm not going to decide anything. Perhaps some of you last night sat down to watch Netflix and you were overwhelmed with all of the choices and you perused for 30 minutes and just gave up and went to bed. And so you're overwhelmed with the number of choices that you have. Also, it can lead to regret. Did you choose the right miniseries to watch or should you have watched this one instead? And so the number of choices that we have leads to paralysis or leads to regret. Let me, let me talk about paralysis for a moment. There's a famous research study that was done with researchers from Columbia University, and they set up this massive display outside of a supermarket, and the display was going to sell jam that you put on toast, jams. There was 24 different varieties of jam. And then the next day, they set up a similar display at the same supermarket, but this time there were only six jams. And the researchers were trying to decide, does actually having more choice help the consumer or does having less choice help the consumer? And so they evaluated which leads to more quote unquote conversion, the 24 choices or the six choices. And they concluded the six, 10 times more effective than the 24 choices. That when you have just so many different decisions to make, sometimes you don't make a decision at all. So that's paralysis, and then there's regret. If Barry Schwartz is correct, and I believe that he is, if you went on vacation this summer and you chose one condo online out of 30 different condos, you then walk the beach one night and you look at the 29 condos that you didn't choose, and that one has a hammock. Mine doesn't have a hammock. 
that one has a nice grill. We don't have a grill. And so instead of enjoying your vacation, you start imagining what your vacation would have been like if you had stayed in one of the other condos that you didn't choose. And so sometimes the plethora of decisions actually leads us to regret. So those of us who are Christians, we often will say, I don't want to be paralyzed and I don't want to be filled with regret. So I want God's will for my life. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, we are so honored. You are welcome here anytime. We're so glad you're here. But we're going to talk through how do we navigate God's plan or God's will for our lives. Now, we have to understand we are a rarity, as Barry Schwartz pointed out, in human history. If you grew up in the 5th century in a small fishing village, the son of a fisherman, you never wrestled with what school you should go to, what your profession should be, or what kind of countertops you should have in your new kitchen. You never wrestled with these decisions. Things were just really simple. And many of us therefore have longed for a more simple life, but yet we love the freedom that we have. We love that we get to make all of these choices. And so how are we going to make them? So there's a common way that people have viewed God's will. And if you look into your bulletin, I wanna explain this. I really wanna set up this series because for the next five weeks, we're we're gonna talk about this. Theologians agree that when you read the scripture and you see the phrase God's will, or you see a concept of God's will in scripture, that it's used differently different places in scripture. And so sometimes God's will is speaking about his will of decree, and sometimes he's speaking about his will of desire. So let me explain what this means. In scripture, there's times where you see God's will and it's his will of decree. And because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, whenever he decrees something, meaning I'm going to cause this to happen, he has the power to bring to action anything he decides to bring to action because he is God. That's his will of decree. Then there's other times where you'll see the phrase God's will and it speaks to his will of desire, his desire for you, his hope for you his desire for what things would look like in your life. But because he's given us free choice, we often don't live his desires for us. And then there's what we usually mean when we talk about God's will. It's the daily decisions, or I need clear direction. I want God's will for this job or this career path or this relationship or the purchase I'm going to make or the investment strategy I'm going to choose. I want God's will for that. And that's where Bible scholars will disagree about how God's will works. So there's, there's two really approaches. And the first one, if you notice on your, on your listening guide, this is a common but a very burdensome view. It's a common view of God's will. That there is God's will of decree. Things will happen that he decides will happen. There's his will of desire. And then there's this one really tiny red dot right in the middle. And it's up to you to find God's specific, perfect, exact will for your life. And he loves you, but you got to find it. You've got to search it and find it. And if you miss it, if you miss it, you are going to be stuck with the rest of your life where God's second best, and you're never going to really enjoy all that he had for you because you couldn't find the little red dot. As you can tell, this is not my favorite view of God's will. 
And it's a lot of pressure for people. So imagine, for example, that you're thinking, I, I, I really want his will for this job I'm going to choose. And you've been praying, um, God, open doors, close doors. I, I want to I do exactly what job you want me to take. And there's been a, an offer for you. You're going to go into an interview and you're up in the morning and you want to be sure you wear the exact right shirt, the one that is right in the red dot, the specific God's will for you. Because if you wear the wrong shirt, maybe it will go the other way that it's supposed to go. And maybe you're, you're not supposed to get the job, but if you wear a shirt that impresses the person because it happens to be their favorite color, they'll be in awe of you. And then there'll be this instant connection during the interview and things will go really well and they'll make an offer to you and you'll assume it's God's will when it's not really God's will because you made the wrong choice on the shirt because you didn't have your spiritual A game on and you wore the wrong shirt to the interview and you're stuck on the ninth floor in the office complex when you shouldn't be accepting the job because you should be on the lower floor where you would run into a recruiter who's going to offer you the exact right job that is the red dot, but you don't have the right shirt on, so you're not going to be there. But if you had been there, then you would move to the exact right city, the right city that's the right red dot for you. And in that right city, you would have met the one, the perfect one, the only one that is for you. But guess what? You're not going to meet that person because you wore the wrong shirt to the interview. Yep. That is some pressure. And so that's how we can often unintentionally view God's little red dot will for our lives. And not only is it a lot of pressure, it's a lot of power. Because think about this. You were supposed, the red dot for you was to be in Chicago where you would have met Susie, but because you didn't have the right shirt on, you are not in Chicago, you're in a different city. And you were supposed to marry Susie, but now Susie can't marry you because you're not in the right city, you're in the wrong city, and so Susie's stuck to marry Dave. And so Dave was supposed to marry Elizabeth, but now Dave's life's messed up forever too. <laughs> all because you wore the wrong shirt. And Elizabeth was supposed to marry Ralph, but she married Dave and everything. You have kicked off a chain reaction of messing up everybody's life. This is a lot of pressure and a lot of power. So we're going to look at a different way to view God's will over the next couple of weeks. Because we don't want to view God this way. And some have, some have unintentionally viewed his will this way that God plays kind of a, a shell game with us. You've seen this before at a sporting event when in between quarters on the, on the big screen, there'll be uh, three shells and there'll be a coin or something beneath the shell. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you have to follow to see. And at the end, you get to guess which, which um, shell has the coin underneath it. And every, all the fans are watching and then you have to vote. And so some of us have imagined God that way with us. Here's my specific perfect will for you, but you, gotta, you have to find it. You have to find it. Get, you only get one shot. Hope you guess right. I mean, is that really how we want to view God? The scripture gives us a completely different picture of who God is. That he's a loving and gracious father who wants good for you. That he's not playing games with you. That he longs for you to be in his will. And so, well, how do I know what his will is? And how do I enjoy his will? That's what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. So look at the, the other side of your listening guide. This is a, a better and I believe a more biblical view of God's will. There is... God's decreed will. All theologians 
believe this, that there is his decreed will. For example, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, God says, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Because we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when God insists on doing something, he has the power and authority to accomplish anything that he decrees, anything that he insists on doing. And I'm so grateful that we don't worship a powerless God, but we worship a powerful God who can pull off anything that he decrees. That's the decreed will of God. And then there's his desired will. And these are things, and I agree with all theologians on this, that in the scripture he says, here's what I desire for you. And over the next five weeks, this is really where we're gonna spend most of our time in this circle. And here's what we're gonna find. If we will do what God has already made clear, then there's a lot of freedom in the daily decisions. Notice it's not this small little red dot, but there's a lot of freedom right here in this area. So imagine this, imagine Evie, my youngest daughter, we're together at night and I say, Evie, this is my desire for us, how the night's gonna go the next couple of hours. I would like you to go read for the next 30 minutes and then we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun. And so she comes back five minutes later and says, Dad, what color, I really wanna know your will, what color should I paint the sky on the painting I'm working on? I really wanna know your will. Please give me your will. I want to know your will. What color should the sky be? Well, as a good father, I would say, I've already given you my will. My will is that you would read for the next 30 minutes. My will is that you would do what I've already made clear. Does that make sense? My will is that you would do what I've already said. Here's my will. We get in American Christianity in this century, we can get so caught up on discovering God's will when the emphasis on, in Scripture is doing God's will. The emphasis in Scripture is saying, Jesus, I'm going to embrace what you've already made clear. And so then if Evie comes back to me, and it's 30 minutes, and she's read, and she says, Dad, I want to paint this picture. Will you help me? What color should I paint the sky? Well, sometimes I might say, I think you should paint the sky this color. But other times I might say, Evie, I want you to decide. Not because I'm indifferent, but because I'm equally pleased with whichever decision she makes. Are you tracking? If you throw yourself into God's will and do what he has declared is his for you, there's a lot of liberty and a lot of freedom, not because he's indifferent towards you, but because he's your dad and he loves you and he's equally pleased with decisions that you make when you're in his will. So where do you, where do you get this from, Eric? Well, look at Genesis chapter two. Look at the, the chart again. You'll see the very first people that God creates and places in the Garden of Eden God does not tell them, here's exactly what I want your day to look like. On Monday morning, you eat from the apple tree. On Monday afternoon, you eat from the orange tree. On Monday evening, you eat from the blueberry bush. On Tuesday morning, you eat from the pear tree. On That's not how, here's what God says. Here's my desire for you. Eat from any tree you want. Just don't eat from the tree that's gonna destroy you. My desire for you is that you would Seek me, love me, 
not eat from the tree that is going to usher in sin and death, but if you will obey my desire for you, eat from any tree, not because I'm indifferent towards you, but because I love you and delight in watching you make choices. And so God has his desires for us and he makes those really clear. And that's what we're gonna look at over the next several weeks. So that was a long introduction to the series, but I really want us to have this framework as we jump in. So we're gonna look at today one place where God makes his will for you absolutely clear. And you may be wrestling with a decision, which it's awesome that you go to him and seek his counsel and seek his wisdom. But oftentimes we will go to him and say, God, I want your will for this, I want your will. And he says, okay, this, here's my will. Here it is, 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 through 18. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five different passages like this, where God says, I'm being super clear because I love you, and here's my desire for you. And if it ever sounds restrictive, it's only because I know what's best for you and because I want what's best for you. But here's my will for you. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, God's will is not this confusing maze. God's will is a beautiful garden. What he makes clear in the garden is don't eat from this tree. What he makes clear to us is rejoice always, Pray constantly, give thanks in everything. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? So let's look at all three of these phrases real quickly. First, rejoice always. God's will for you today is that you will rejoice always. And if you're a Christian, you have everything to rejoice in. You have so much to rejoice over because the Lord has filled you with his joy. He has filled you with his peace. He has filled you with his forgiveness. Therefore, you can rejoice always. David wrote this in the Psalms, in Psalm 4, verse 7. It's one of my favorite verses. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. So they have some joy because they've got a bunch of grain in their barns and they have some new wine and it's flowing, but their joy is nothing compared to the joy that he gives. And therefore we can rejoice always. Now notice the phrase, rejoice always. The only way that you can rejoice always is if your rejoicing is connected to something that you could never lose. You can't rejoice always if your rejoicing is built on something that can be taken away from you. The only way your rejoicing is continual if it's connected to that which will never be taken away from you, which is why our rejoicing must be in the Lord, must be in Jesus and all that he's done for us because anything else, even good things can be taken away from us. Five weeks ago tomorrow is when I went over the handlebars. I know, you know, Ken's making fun of me in front of everybody about doing that. Um, I went over the handlebars and separated my shoulder. It's never gonna be the same again. So encouraging. Um, I'm always gonna have this, this weird thing sticking out up here, um, this bone that protruded up. 
But I was on Sunday night, so five weeks ago tonight, I, I went out and I went mountain biking. And I was, sometimes how I would um, unwind after preaching all day, listen to some worship music or listen to a sermon. And I mean, it's just beautiful. Where we live is amazing. I ran into some other guys out on the trail and we ended up talking and talking about how blessed we are to live here. How, and we don't live in the middle of Texas somewhere. I mean, we live here. I mean, everything is amazing. And I'm taking all of these photos of the sunset going down. I get home and I tell Kay, I sit down at the, at the dinner table with her and say, baby, look at this. Look where God lets us live. This is amazing. The next morning I get up and some friends asked me to go early with them mountain biking. So I went mountain biking with them and I, I did something wrong. And then boom, went over the handlebars and separated my shoulder. And in a moment, this thing I loved so much was taken from me just like that. And this wasn't something that I believe I made an idol of. This wasn't something that was bad. This was a good thing in my life. Even good things are temporary things. The only thing that lasts forever is Jesus and his righteousness, which is why our rejoicing must ultimately be in him and not something else. Because if you place your rejoicing in something else, that thing can go away. The only thing that remains is him. So the only way you rejoice always is if your rejoicing is in him. So he cares a lot about the source of your rejoicing. What do you rejoice in? Ultimately, what do you rejoice in? Jesus one day sent his disciples out, and this was a good thing for them to rejoice in. But it wasn't the ultimate thing. It wasn't him. His disciples went out, and they did all kinds of miracles in his name. They preached the good news of Jesus in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They healed people in his name. And so they come running back to Jesus and they're so excited. They're high-fiving, they're chest-bumping. They're like, this is amazing. Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're rejoicing, they're excited. And notice what Jesus tells them in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. It sounds like he's gonna throw cold water on their enthusiasm, but he's really caring for their hearts. He says, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's being very intentional to care for them, to be, he wants them to care where they put their rejoicing. They were rejoicing in something good that demons were submitting in the name of Jesus to them. And Jesus says, no, 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 I want you ultimately rejoice in what I've done for you, not in what you do for me. I want you to rejoice in what I've already accomplished in your life by my grace, that your name is written in heaven, more than I want you to rejoice in all of the good things you do for me. He cares about the source of our rejoicing. Is he the source of your rejoicing? Rejoice always, number one. Number two, pray constantly. What's, I just want God's will for me. I just want God's will. Pray constantly. Now, how do you pray constantly? How on earth does this happen? I mean, do you, you can't have your eyes closed all the time. You have work you have to crank out tomorrow. How do you pray constantly? So this phrase, pray constantly, must mean a posture of dependence on him at all times, that you're constantly dependent on him to give you what you need, that you're constantly receiving wisdom from him and direction from him, that you're constantly with him, that you never say amen, that you're always connected. 
constantly connected. We know what it means to be constantly connected. When I was in um, middle school, I didn't know what it meant to be constantly connected because this was our phone in the house where I grew up. You guys have the same thing? Some of you had like the really long cord. It was like hanging in the kitchen and the only way to talk in private was to go like in the closet in the kitchen. And, and this, was, this was crazy. Teenagers, this was, this was a crazy time. You didn't even know who was calling you when you answered. Like a couple years later, they had this little box you paid $9.99 for and that it was called caller ID. That was insane because you could look and see, whoa, I can see who's calling me. There was a time when you didn't even have what is now called call waiting. You just would call a friend and you get a busy signal. And so then call waiting would happen. You'd hear a beep and you could like press the button. It was amazing. But before that, when I was growing up, you had no idea who was calling you. And if you were on the phone, somebody else couldn't call. And so your mom or dad would say, listen, don't get on the phone long because so-and-so might be calling. And you, because you had no idea who was calling you, you'd all, you would be taught as a kid how to answer the phone because some boogeyman would be on the other side. So you would, you know, this is how we were taught at my house. Geiger residence, how may I help you? Same. Anybody else? So we weren't constantly connected. We weren't connected at all times. We could only talk for a little while. Now we know what it means to be constantly connected. Because some of you on your phones, you have your friends or your spouse programmed in with some crazy ringtone. Or you have your notifications set on your social apps and you can constantly look, you're constantly connected. You can even turn something on your iPhone to see how many times you check your phone in a day. That's how connected we are. And this is what pray continually means, that you're always open to him. Jesus, send me any notification at any time. Give me any direction at any time. I'm fully dependent. I don't have to check caller ID, I'm already connected to you. I'm not, I'm not busy, the phone's not busy. I'm always connected to you. This is what it means to pray continually. Man, what's God's will for me? Rejoice always, pray continually. And here's the third. Give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. Now notice there's three commands here. And I want you to see which one's in the middle. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in everything. As pray continually goes up, rejoice in everything, rejoice always goes up, and give thanks in everything goes up. As pray continually in your life goes down, the other two go down. It all rises on pray continually. If you pray continually, you're going to find yourself rejoicing always because you're going to remember his grace and his forgiveness in your life. If you are praying continually, you're going to give thanks in everything because you're going to be constantly connected to him and you're going to view everything as a gift. The more you pray, the more you're connected to him, rejoicing goes up, thankfulness goes up. The less you're connected to him, gratitude in your life goes down, rejoicing in your life goes down. It rises with the tide of prayer in your life. It rises. So this is, this is his will for you. And then give thanks in everything. Now, this is not an unreasonable verse. This verse does not say, because some of you are going through a deep trial in your life in this moment. Disease, 
divorce, betrayal, pain. This verse, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, is not flippantly looking at you and saying, give thanks for everything. He says, give thanks in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. In the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the pain, we can give thanks because we know that our good and gracious God walks with us in the middle of the pain. In the middle of the pain, in the middle of the struggle, we can give thanks because we know a day is coming, a future is coming when he rights every wrong and makes everything perfect and pure. We can give thanks in everything because we know we're his son and we're his daughter. Even in the middle of the pain, we can give thanks. Not for everything sometimes, but in everything. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. When it comes to life, The critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. Do we take things for granted? Do we take for granted that we were able to wake up this morning? That we were able to come to church with friends and family and sit in an air-conditioned worship center? That we could sing? That we, there's Christians around the world that, that couldn't do what we just did. That we can open the scripture. Did, did we give thanks in this? That tomorrow many of you will go to work and you'll go to work because he's gifted you with the creativity or the ingenuity or the, the craftsmanship that you have in your profession. He's given you that as a gift. And so his will for you isn't that you would go to work constantly wondering, is this his will? Is this his will? His will for you is that you would go to work and give thanks for what he's already given for you. His will for you is that tomorrow you would wake up and that you would rejoice always because if you rejoice always, it means you're rejoicing in the ultimate source, which is him. And so what is his will for your life? We're gonna, over the next five weeks, look at passages like this. And I'm gonna give insight along the way on how you can know you're in his will. But today it's just real plain. Do his will, and then there's a lot of freedom. Do his will, and then he's equally pleased with the the decisions you make. Do his will. Do his will. Do what he's already said. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want to rejoice now and give thanks now. And so together we're going to stand and we're gonna sing and we are going to remember that you are the source of our rejoicing and that we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. Thank you that you have not put us in a confusing maze, that you're not playing games with us, but that you are a good and gracious God who gave us yourself, who still speaks to us and loves us. We have so much to rejoice in, so much to be thankful for. And so to remind ourselves of that truth, we're gonna sing to you.
And we want you to be pleased. So receive our worship now as we stand and sing. Let's stand and sing, church. Let's rejoice in him together.
Amen. He is worth worshiping all the time. Can you grab a seat? I, I, before I give our benediction today, I want to explain a couple of things that are happening in this series so that you, you won't miss out. So if you would look in the middle of your bulletin, you will be able to see these things. So starting tomorrow, if you sign up for some daily inspiration, it's the very bottom of this, this bulletin here, we have video content, but also some devotionals that are written around the same passages that we're teaching in the weekend teaching. And so just during this five weeks, you would get a daily email that would remind you of what we're talking about, would give you some suggestions for prayer and for reading the scripture. And so I wanna encourage you to sign up for that. Then if you notice right above that, we have both Rooted and Connect groups. And so Rooted starts, you'll see it here, on Tuesday, September 17th, or Thursday, September 19th. And if you haven't been through Rooted yet, you need to go through Rooted because it's going to help you really understand who God is. It's going to help you understand the DNA of our church. People ask me all the time, how do I get further connected into Mariners? How do I understand what Mariners is? What's the class I need to go to? It, it, the answer every time you ask is Rooted. And so I, if you haven't been, I'm asking you, I want this for you. I want you to go to Rooted. And then if you see, there's the God's Plan Connect groups. Oftentimes, your Rooted group becomes a group, which is the, the group I'm in. It was our Rooted group, and it became our group. Sometimes uh, uh, someone moves away, or, or, the, or your Rooted group doesn't become your group. We have these Connect groups, and our Connect groups currently are going to go through the same teaching, just a deeper dive of it, of what we're talking about in our weekend teaching. And so you can sign up for a connect group. It's Thursdays, uh, September, starts September 12th from 6.30 to 8.30. At the end of that connect group, your group might become a group, or you can wait for the next connect group. We just want to do all we can to help you get into a group. And here's why. We don't want you to walk in the garden alone. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for you to be alone in this beautiful garden. And it's not good for you to be alone. You're not in a maze. You're in a garden. But don't be in the garden alone. In fact, I want you to see what happens when you are in a group. Take a look at this video. As a grad student at UCI, I knew the high rates of like depression and anxiety among graduate students. And because of that, I knew it was essential to get plugged in. I didn't really grow up in church. Naturally, there were many questions that I had. And... I was always looking for answers. So my husband and I, we came over to Mariners. We noticed how important it would be to get involved, to get connected. And we knew here Rooted was the way to do that. I remember the first time we met our group, uh, we instantly connected. We felt like we could be real and we felt like we had a safe place to share about our lives. Right at the time that Rooted was beginning, I got news that my grandfather, his cancer was getting really bad. Not only was our Rooted group super open to me being vulnerable and just sharing how I felt, they also were empathetic and jumped in right with me in the pain. I was able to ask the questions I was afraid to ask everywhere else to get closer to God and stronger in my faith. I'm really excited to continue our life group. These are my people. It keeps me coming back for more, and I feel that I have found a home and a community. I now have a group to belong to and to be accountable to that inspires and motivates me to be more and more connected with God. It was just really a, an amazing, an amazing thing that God would connect us. Now, like, this is home, and um, God has truly planted us here, and we're really grateful for that. I love that story. I love it. 
And that's what, I, that's what I want for you. So you can stop by some tables on the patio to get connected to Rooted if you haven't gone through Rooted or to a connect group, or you can check out information online. At the end of our service, if there's anything that we can pray with you about, we'll have a team of people right here at our prayer wall. And if your need is prayer for healing, we have an elder prayer room. And to get to the elder prayer room, you go through the doors in the back and you take a right. Well, let's stand and then we're gonna receive God's blessing as we go. As we're standing, I wanna thank you so much, church, for your generosity. Many of you give every week, some online, some of you give in the offering boxes that we have available for you. I want you to know one story about where your generosity goes. Last week, I was in Haiti visiting some of our partners there, and we were in the southern part of Haiti. Uh, many of you have, have been there, and Rosé is a, is a community there, and we have partnered, and there's a church there that was completely destroyed with Hurricane Matthew. And this church, um, they took the, the rubble from their church that was destroyed, and they put together this makeshift church that they're currently meeting in. They're meeting in today. And so we worshiped alongside them. It was awesome. My daughter, Evie, learned how to dance in church in Haiti. It was incredible. Um, there, were, there were kids and teenagers peering through the slats outside because there was not enough seats inside. They were so hungry. I was thinking that we walked through the Beatitudes, happier the hungry and thirsty for righteousness. I saw a picture of that. But I want you to know while, while I was there, I gave away a whole bunch of your money. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for your generosity. And we, we got with Pastor Daniel after the service and we walked up to where the, the building was and we said, brother, um, Mariner's Church is gonna build you a new church. And he threw himself, boom, and it was, it was awesome. Thank you for your generosity. This is a generous church. This is a fun place to be. Let's extend our hands and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, these are your sons and daughters, and you have put them in a glorious garden. I pray this new week for them would be a week where they enjoy you. They enjoy your will. I pray that they would do your will. I pray that you would pull them close to you this new week, that they would sense your presence, they would sense your joy in their life, that they would sense your blessing each moment of each day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.